A few weeks ago, we started this whole series on the family, and we're basing it, our, our base camp has been Psalm 127. 150 psalms in the book of Psalms, and two of them were written by the wisest man who ever lived. And that's just me, not me talking, that's God saying Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, and he wrote two of the 150 psalms. And in the 127th psalm, uh, Solomon talks a little bit about family, about living life as that unit. And we read it here in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. You can do a lot of things, but without the Lord, there's just going to be a lot of working in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late. Basically, if you do that, you eat the bread of sorrows. It's okay to be an early bird. It's okay to be a night owl. But if you're an early bird and a night owl and you don't find the right rhythm in your own home, you're, gonna eat the, you're not going to eat the bagels of blessing. You're going to eat the bread of sorrow. For so he gives his beloved sleep. There's a pattern for families. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Beautiful gift, they're a blessing, not a burden. The fruit of the womb, not fruit of the loom, is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. See that metaphor, arrows. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but instead will speak with their enemies in the gate. This speaks of not someone who cowers under pressure, someone who avoids conflict, someone who avoids responsibility, but there is this stability and confidence, this assurance in this kind of family that can face anything that might come their way. And so through this series, I've worked to give you an acrostic for the word arrow, each week adding another part of the acrostic. Right there in your worship guide, you can take some notes with us or you can download the Timber Creek Church app and fill in the blanks right from there. But we've already talked about week one, aim. We've got to live towards the right target. There are many circles around the target, but just one bullseye. And the bullseye is not just good deciders. We want our kids to be good deciders. We want our kids to make good decisions. Uh, it's not just survival. Or it's not just grades. It's not just being able to accomplish something and, and having a better lifestyle than what mom or dad had. But the center has got to be Jesus at the center, his character, his conduct, his convictions, guiding our everyday life. We won't, won't really know the right kind of morality. Morality gets skewed and twisted and, 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 it, and it's off. If we're not following in Jesus' footsteps, that's the bullseye. And once we get that down, all the other circles, everything else can be added, but we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Week two, we talked about release. The name of the game is letting go. If you really want to keep your kids close, you've got to learn how to let them go. And it's not just bye. It's a process of releasing some rope and pulling back on the rope. You made, you made a good decision. Here's some rope. Oh, you, you, you're late from curfew? Yeah, I'm taking some rope, taking some rope. We learn how to release, and the name of the game is letting go. Week three, we talk about rhythm, setting the pace, marching to the rhythm of a morning time, drive time, mill time, bedtime, laid out for the Israelites by God and Moses and laid out for us too, that, that we're being very intentional with the rhythm of life that God's shown families. We talked last week about the wow factor. A lot of people talking about whoa with their kids, but we want to talk about having wow. We got a lot of employees out there that are like, whoa, <laughs> the kind of whoa employees. Everybody's looking for some wow employees. And our kids are going to be the future either whoa employees or the wow employees. 
And we want to teach them the, the wows of respect and resilience and resourcefulness. And as parents, we have to recognize and verbalize. Don't just see the potential in your kids. Say what you see. There's a whole lot of potential that's never spoken out. I'm not talking about saying 17th place. <laughs> Here's a trophy. Like, no, man, you were horrible. But I loved watching you. I loved watching you, and you're great, and you're still my son, and I'm not going to disown you or be all upset with you all week because you got 17th place. Because sports are just sports. Today, we finish this series by talking about the O, Oprah. No, it's not going to be Oprah. We're not going to put a bookend on this with Oprah. We're going to talk about opposition. This whole scripture passage that's our base camp starts out that there's this guarding of the city. There's these watchmen that stay awake, but they do it in vain unless the Lord is watching with them. You and I have real opposition, and it's not always seen. In fact, most of the opposition against your family is what we don't see. It's not a battle we deal with in flesh and blood, but it's spiritual darkness. The truth is there are many adversaries. There are many adversaries that would come against your family. And it's good that we would have aim and have rhythm and have release and have the wow factor. But if we don't know how to really face opposition, we're missing an, an, an integral part of this passage. We have to know how to defend and how to be on the offense. So let's start by taking some notes. I just want to give you, number one, let me say it this way. There is no child-sized devil. The, the same enemy that was in the garden, the same enemy that tempted Jesus 40 days in the wilderness, the same enemy that comes in like a flood and wants to sift the apostle Peter like wheat, the same enemy that is like a roaring lion that seeks to kill and steal, seeking whom he may devour, that enemy doesn't like come at you at 18. That enemy is after our children. There is no child-sized devil. Now, when you talk about Satan, when you, when you talk about the devil, spiritual darkness, there, there are some extremes. And there are those when I start talking about, when I start talking about the devil, you get excited. You're like, <laughs> I'm going to get out my sword. And, I'm gonna, and, 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 and like everything spiritual warfare for you. And you come over to this side, and you're like, oh, let's talk about the devil. Let's, let's put him under our feet, under our feet. The devil is under our feet. And, and, and like you, 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 sometimes people can focus so much on the devil, they don't focus as much on Christ. And so they're, they're, they're praying all these prayers against the devil, and Jesus is like, hey, like, let's talk. And they're casting out demons in their blender. <laughs> oh, the strawberries were too chunky. They're casting out a spirit of crick in the neck. No, you, it was the wrong pillow. That's it. It wasn't the devil. You, it was you. You fell asleep watching ESPN, moron. And now you got a crick in your neck because you were up against the couch. True story. But on the other side of the extreme are those that say, ah, and your only idea of the enemy is some, you know, big turned mustache, little tiny goatee holding a pitchfork in a red wrestling, you know, singlet, just... <laughs> You're thinking of Halloween and something spooky. It's like, a, it, it's, like, it's like Shrek and Cinderella and the devil. And, and you are way off too. And so the person who puts way so much focus on the enemy is, is going to be off. The person who puts no focus is going to be off. So I want to invite us to be the kind of people that understand that 
There are things that happen. It rains on the just and the unjust. There's stuff in life. But there's also a spiritual enemy that's not child-sized. That's why we start our kids over in KidWorks really young. We give them an environment that is child-sized environment so they can understand the reality of a real Jesus. Listen, if you have your kids with you in the room, that, that's, that's, that, that, that's okay. But I'm going to tell you, you're going to miss out on the best partnership that you could ever hope to have by, by not letting your kids be a part of what God is doing in KidWorks. Plus, sometimes a pastor talks about stuff that's PG-13, and they ain't PG-13 yet. And today's one of them, so just gear up. Here we go. <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Kind of. Not really. There's no child-sized devil. And he's not waiting for them to run off to college, not waiting for the, for the truck to be loaded up to head out to the, to the next place after they leave mom and dad's house. He's looking for any moment to hang on to them. The average age where a child is introduced to pornography is now at the age of six, according to Newsweek. Inadvertently, not specifically seeking it out inadvertently, but that is an exposure that has changed dramatically with technology. And it's not just because of uh, stuff happening in a friend's house. It's so important you know who your kids are going over and hanging out with. But it's happening inside the home too without us knowing because we, we haven't been able to really understand the enemy at work. Number two, the home front is the front line of the enemy's attacks. If he can get you at the home front where you feel like your defenses are down and everything's fine and you're relaxing, it's at the home front which really becomes the front line of the enemy. And we have to know how to protect our home. That's what we're going to end with today is how to activate God's protection over our, over our homes and our kids and our families. You know, we've given some keystone habits as we've been going through this series, talking about living towards the target. The name of the game is letting go, set the pace. If I were to give you a, a keystone habit that is a big habit that all the other ones can kind of fall underneath for opposition this, series, this Sunday I would give it to you this way. It's not on your notes. We just write it down. Fire prevention starts at home. I was in California just a, a week and a half ago, and we were in this uh, large national forest, and there were Smokey the Bear signs in different places. Only you can stop a fire. And, but, but underneath one of them, it said fire prevention starts at home. Way before you're out there doing what you're doing, starting your campfire, understanding fire prevention is, is right here at home. It's not on a Sunday by itself. It's Monday through Sunday inside the four walls of not the church but the house. And because the, the front lines are really the home front, you need to understand number three, where opportunity abounds, opposition will mushroom. When I say the home front is the front lines, think of King David who had become king and was very successful and had several different military endeavors and had become uh, just a conqueror, I mean, slaying his tens of thousands. And he got comfortable and he decided when all the other kings were out at war, he would hang out at the home front. He'd just hang out and he'd eat some grapes and he was on his Peloton bike on the top of the roof doing his little Peloton exercise that morning. And sure enough, as he's hanging out, he catches a, whoa! Bathing in the moonlight, naked Bathsheba. How else do you bathe but naked? And catches his eye and opposition mushrooms in that moment to become a devastating season of King David's life. 
right after Jesus is baptized in water, the sky this, this, this splits open and the voice of God himself, this is my boy, I'm really proud of him. And, and like, a, like not a dove, but like a dove, the Holy Spirit just descends on Jesus and it's this moment. And as soon as he steps out of the water, like he's, temptation starts. The devil really wasn't after him when he was sweeping up sawdust in his daddy's cabinet shop. But as he began to grow into opportunity, opposition would mushroom. And I want to say to you, don't let your guards down at home. We're so concerned about what's going on out there that we forget what's going on inside the four walls. It's like, uh, it's like the prophet who has a school. So he's got a Bible school. And there's been a famine in the land, and for years there's been no food, and he's got this school of prophets, and, and he's teaching them and training them. And one day they're all hungry, and one of the guys thinks he's, you know, up to a good idea. He goes out into the woods, and he finds a gourd, and he's like, man, I haven't found any other food. This gourd looks scrumptious. I'm going to take it to the chef. He takes the gourd to the chef. The chef's like, where would you get this? I got it out there. He doesn't say, hey, I thought we were in a famine. And he said, okay. He just goes Gordon Ramsay on the thing and just dumps it in the stew. Well, little do they know that this, the gourd is dangerous. The gourd is poisonous. And so they, they begin to serve the stew in the local prophet school cafeteria. And as they, as they begin to eat the stew, one of the guys yells out, it's the first time we hear OMG, but it's OMOG. It's O man of God, OMOG. He says, there's death in the pot. There's death in the food. And they stop eating and what they don't do is, is try and strain the stew. They don't try and pull out the poisonous gourd. And there is a good spiritual lesson here. What they do is they add flour into the pot. They add something in. I want to tell you, there's no amount of straining this culture that's going to protect your kids. But what I do want to tell you is the more we add, the more we realize that opposition mushrooms where opportunity is, that the home front is a great way not to just try and pull them out of stuff, protect them with the bubble, but continually adding, adding. And because they added the flour into the pot, the stew is okay. And it's not about what you could ever protect your kids from alone. It's about what we add into our kids. I got to tell you, number four, beware of Trojan horses. The old story goes that there was a fortified city and, and the enemy couldn't get in. And so they, they send this little offering, if you will, and it's like this big horse, wooden horse. And it comes up to the gate, you know, you've see, you can see in your mind's eye old, you know, um, uh, medieval movies and, and the, uh, the, the, the door is up. And uh, so they decide to open the door and they bring in the, the gift, the big old Trojan horse. Little they know that the horse is hollowed out and inside are ninjas, assassins. And they, they come out at night when everybody's sleeping and they open the doors and they unlock, they unlock the gates and they wreak havoc on that enemy. Why? Because that village just let something that seemed to be small inside their walls. Now, this is where the church can start making soapbox stuff. And we can talk about you ought not go to movies, you ought not listen to that music, you ought not to wear, you know, you ought not to listen to any music unless it talks about how awesome Jesus is. And, and only wear t-shirts that, that, that say Jesus saves on them. And, and, and what we can do is we, we kind of create this, this soapbox of saying no to a lot of things. But I, I want to tell you, there's a lot of Trojan horses after your kiddos. Um, access to the internet is a, is, a, is a potential Trojan horse. 
FaceTiming and texting and having all of that technology in the pocket of your fifth grader is not wise. You've got to figure out how to set parameters and not run all open on your RPMs. Just because the dashboard says nine RPMs doesn't mean you run it in the red line. In the same way with technology and availability to it, you are, you are running things into the red line when you don't set certain parameters. I mean, and the, the, Lord, the, the enemy will use Trojan horses, like good things. You know, sex is a good thing created by God for procreation, for recreation. You, it, it's a beautiful thing within the right confines. And that's one man, one woman in a Christ-centered marriage for life. But we take that and we want to do it our way and it can become devastating when people open up that gift too soon. And when we say, you know, look, 40 years ago, there were two sexually transmitted diseases that were the primary transmitted diseases. Now doctors are talking about at least 40 com common sexually transmitted diseases. Now if we did things God's way, we wouldn't be dealing with that, did you know? We wouldn't be dealing with all that. And some people say, the skeptic says, oh man, God just doesn't want us to have any fun. No, he doesn't want you to have herpes. <laughs> that's, that's like, that, that, that's what he doesn't want. And when we do things our way, we, 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 we open ourselves up to Trojan horses. So much I could say there, but you got to learn how to lock the door on your home. Side note on locking your door, a couple weeks ago, I was getting ready uh, to go out of town with our staff on a retreat. And it was about 9 in the morning. I'd done some things, and now I was getting around, and I was going to go meet everybody. And just, just for the story, I, I had some baggy kind of long underwear on, and, and, that, and that's it. And I was washing my toothbrush and putting toothpaste on the toothbrush, and my phone was in the kitchen down the hall. So I walked out of the bathroom down and started to walk down the hall of our little duplex we're living in. And as I'm looking to what, make sure the toothpaste doesn't fall off the toothbrush, as I'm walking, I hear a voice. I thought I was alone in the house. I hear a voice say, hello. <laughs> and I looked up, and there's a woman I've never met before in my life standing at the end of the hallway. And she's got a dog in her hand, and she's doing this. <laughs> hello. And I'm standing there, almost naked with a toothbrush. I said, Hi. She goes, here's what she says. I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. She goes, is this the veterinary clinic? And I, and I literally, I, I look down. And in my mind, I'm going to say, yes, I'm the doctor. I'll, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. I like to get really comfortable with my, with my clients and my patients. And I don't know if it's just the weirdness of the moment. I didn't. Why she didn't run out and why I didn't run out, but I just say, no, this is not the veterinary clinic. This is my home. <laughs> and you would think that both of us would go, <laughs> uh, sorry, but instead we just kind of stand each other down. Like, I mean, it's like the okay corral. And she goes, oh, well, I walked in and she's just telling me the story. I'm standing there with my toothbrush in my underwear. She goes, I, I, I. Uh, you know what, I, I walked in and I saw the couch and I thought, oh, this is the waiting room. And I went, okay. And she goes, and then I saw the dog bowl on the floor and I thought, oh, okay, this, is, this must be the veterinary clinic. I said, no, we have a dog. That's just their bowl. 
And so I said, actually, so I kind of, I mean, I don't know why, I can't explain why this happened, but I just kind of walked down and I said, hey, if you'll go down the road to, like, down this, just talking with my toothbrush, just, just, just go down, there's a veterinary clinic down on Southwood. And uh, she goes, oh, okay, okay, here's her final words. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, you probably ought to put a sign out front that says, this is not the veterinary clinic. And I said, great idea. <laughs> people, man, people, you got to lock the door. You lock the door. Does that have any spiritual value? Absolutely not. But at least I got that story off my chest. Look, I, I, as funny as that story is, I, I want to remind us of the, the the seriousness of there is no child-sized devil. But I also want to say this to you, number five, there is no child-sized Holy Spirit. In the same way that the Spirit hovered over the depths of the earth at creation, and the Spirit of God anointed men and women all throughout history, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that same Spirit isn't just for adults. That same spirit is for our children to walk with them, guide them, comfort them, counsel them in school, in the locker room, at home, to be able to overcome temptation as they grow a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit in their life. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that there's no child-sized Holy Spirit, and he's available, and, he, and we have access to the greatest gift God's ever given us of the Holy Spirit. So as we, as we live step by step in, in, in like this step cadence dance with the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit, not walking in the desires of the flesh, how do we activate God's protection over our homes? How do we do that? Let's talk about the first and foremost. Number one, you got to paint the house red. Paint the house red. The story of the in-bondage, enslaved Israelites for four centuries, 400 years, their backs against the whip of the Egyptians, building some of the phenomenal uh, uh, history markers of the pyramids and sphinx and king cities over in the Middle East that we still see today. Those Israelites in bondage, in slavery, God sends a deliverer to lead them out. And we read this scripture of this final moment of leading them out. In Exodus chapter 12, Moses, who's the deliverer, anointed by God, he gathers the elders of Israel together, the leaders of the, the different tribes, okay? And he says, select a lamb for your families, and you're going to select a lamb, and then you're going to slaughter that Passover lamb. And I want you to take a bunch of hyssop, okay, some leaves, and you're going to dip it in the bowl of blood, and you smear it on the lintel top and on the door posts of your home. No one is to leave the house until morning. What's going to happen is God will pass through to strike Egypt down. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two door posts, God will pass over the doorway. He won't let the destroyer into your house to strike you down with ruin. Now, to give you context, we back up into the story several weeks, if not months, 
And Moses has come back onto the scene. He grew up in the home of the Pharaoh, was half brothers with the Pharaoh who is the Pharaoh today. And he says, you got to let my people go. God says, let them go. And Pharaoh's heart is hardened towards this. He, he's not willing to lose his workforce. And not just that, he's just not willing to follow the word of God and the word of God through Moses. And so God sends ten plagues. And what's interesting is those plagues correlate with different, many of them correlate with different gods in Egypt. The, the god of the Nile. And yet the Nile turns to blood. And the, the, the frog god. And then they get all the frogs they want. He's saying, hey, you want your gods? You want to serve your gods? I'm going to give you plenty. And there's one plague after the next to show them there's one true God. And Pharaoh's heart stays hardened. Do you know that if you're not careful as God speaks to you and speaks to you, when we don't respond to God and we allow our heart to ignore or we be hardened by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, he's very available and willing. But your heart can become hard and your ears, it's not that, it's not that Jesus stops speaking. It's that our ears can become deaf to his voice. You harden your heart and you're hard in your heart. You've got to be careful because there, 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 there's judgment that comes from that. Don't harden yourself to God's voice. If you're thinking someday I might just, I might, you know, get my life right with God. Someday I would invite you. Don't let someday be tomorrow. Let someday be today. Let it be today. Don't keep hardening because of some hurt in the past or some skepticism that you just haven't had answered yet. He'll guide you and lead you, but you can't just stay with a cold shoulder and a deaf ear to God. C.S. Lewis says it like this, there's two kinds of people in the world, the, the kind of people that say thy will be done and those that say my will be done. And Pharaoh was basically saying my will be done and it was one plague after the other. And then they get to the 10th plague and the 10th plague, he, God says, I'm coming to everyone. The, I, I'm, I'm, this is not just for Egypt, this is everybody. And I'm going to bring death with me and I'm going I'm to go in in the same way that Moses escaped genocide when he was a baby where the boys were being murdered, the firstborn child, I'm going to come in. And if these, if these homes aren't covered by the blood, the firstborn are going to die. And, and, it, and it's not because God is an evil, twisted God. It's, it's because God is bringing judgment because of their decisions, not because of God's decision. All in one night. Can you imagine the mass hysteria that's about to take place? God didn't want it. They chose that, that path. But here's the deal. Listen close. Before God in the word of God, before he ever plays wipeout on anything, he always provides a way out. When Nineveh is going to be destroyed in 30 days. God provides a way out. While we were still sinners, Christ provides a way out. Before the rains would destroy all living civilization, he provides an ark. God provides a way out. And so he shows this way out, the sacrifice, that if you're going to be covered, if you're going to be really saved, then something has to die. There's, there is a punishment for sin. Something dies whenever we sin, and so there's a sacrifice. It started in the garden when Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with fig leaves and try to cover their own mistakes. God's the only one that can really cover that and, and, and start us fresh. And in that moment, he kills an animal and wraps them in the skin, that, the skin of that animal. And that's the beginning of this sacrifice piece. 
And what I want to say to you is only, only blood can death-proof your home. Can you imagine the elders having that meeting and going back to their, to their different villages? And they say, okay, guys, 10th uh, plague's coming, and we're going to be saved from it. They're like, okay, what do we do? What do we do? Tell us, Bruce. And Bruce is like, okay, here's the deal. So you're going to take, you're going to kill a lamb, and you're going to put their blood on your door. And they're like, what now? <laughs> you know, like, can you, can you think of maybe the skeptics in the house? Are you sure? That's a little weird. And he said, no, 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 you're going to do it. And so families start going to their homes. Some were skeptic enough where they didn't do it. And they faced the consequences. But others, they went and they sacrificed the lamb and they would, they would cover. They began to put the, 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 the blood. This is, this is just paint. Uh, somebody on our creative team recommended we go to the butcher shop and get a bucket of blood. I said, no, no, let's, let's just go to Home Depot. They would cover not only the doorposts. Man, I wish I was tall. <laughs> Could you imagine the dad doing this and like the, the, like the two young kids come riding their bikes home from school and they come into the, the front yard and dad's putting blood on the door and they're like, where's Fluffy? You know, like, dad, where's Fluffy? Fluffy's, Fluffy's okay, you know, this is a different, it's a different thing. Now, what happens is sure enough, that evening comes and families lose their loved ones that did not apply the blood. Now, we don't go and we make this into some kind of hocus-pocus deal. It's symbolic. It's a shadowing of Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says, For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So the Passover of death is provided by Jesus. And so Jesus' blood covers the home. And we don't go home and we start putting blood on stuff. And just if you hang it up, look, you can hang a hundred crosses on your wall. That doesn't, that, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about a physical application. We're talking about a spiritual application. But let me give you this warning. The power is not in access, but the application. Every Sunday you get access to the word of God. Every week you have access to the word of God. You have access to who God is, what he wants to do through you, in you, beyond you, for you and your family and your children and your children's children. But having access is not the same as application. I hope you're praying for me, Grandma. I hope you're praying for me, Grandma. Keep praying for me, Grandma. I had one woman walk, would walk through the parking lot. I hope you're praying for me, Pastor. You haven't been praying for me. You haven't been praying for me, Pastor. Stuff's going on in your life. I'm like, maybe you need to pray. Like, you need to pray too. And it's not about having access to the word of God. It's about applying the word of God. You have access to Jesus every moment of the day. But applying his principles to your decisions, to your parenting, to your lifestyle. You, you can't just have access and think that's okay. You have to have application. And may I also say the paint goes on the outside. The, the, the paint goes on the outside. He, he, he didn't say it was okay if you guys just, you know, don't tell anybody. Just kind of come in. Hey, Bruce, how you doing? I'll be right there. And What are you doing in there? Oh, just, you know, little HDTV, little flip, flip Egypt thing. <laughs> this whole applying the principles of Jesus is not meant to be hidden. 
How will the world know? Do you know we are in such a crazy gridlock, in such a mess as a nation? People yelling on both sides of, of the, the aisle. People screaming at each other on Facebook. No, no, conversations are not conversations. I mean, just arguments. And we can get very frustrated with that and just kind of give up. But Jesus desires for families like you and me, which is the, 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 the bedrock of, of human civilization. God designed the family to be the bedrock, not the government, to be the bedrock of civilization. And a God-fearing family steps in and says, as for me and my house, we're not going to hide this thing. We're going to paint the door on the outside, and we're going to love Jesus. We're not, I'm not asking you to be weird and just walk, drive through the neighborhood blaring, you know, people need the Lord. Like, I'm not, that's not what I mean on the outside. I mean being unafraid to stand out and stand up for the right thing according to the word of God. The paint goes on the outside. We've got to paint our houses red. Number two, we've got to stack some stones. And stack the stones. We, ha- we see that through Scripture where Jacob has this dream and this encounter with, with God in, at Bethel, and he stacks some stones. It's like, a, it's like a memory marker. And Moses, when he receives the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai, he, he stacks some stones as a reminder of what happened there. When the Israelites cross over the Jordan River, a miracle happens and the the water comes aside, not just at the Red Sea, but at the Jordan River. They stack some stones where it took place so that they would remember. And I want to remind you that, that every birthday is not just a birthday. It's a potential moment for you to stack some stones. Graduation isn't just for graduating and getting the diploma. It's an opportunity for you to stack some stones and connect the dots where, you know, we're so thankful that Jesus has gotten you this far and he's gifted you and now you're to take a next step. Put trust in him. Don't lean on your own understanding. Your birthdays, we're so thankful that Jesus has given you to us. You are on loan. Happy birthday. And we so celebrate. When Christmas comes, we're stacking stones by not just giving presents, but, but really remembering the birthday of Jesus Drew Brees just uh, broke the record for the most yards passed for a quarterback in the NFL, a, 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 um, a feat that's probably not going to be broken again for a long, long time. I was watching the Monday night game, not because I like the Saints. Oh, Lord, I know you're some Saints fans in here. Who dat? Who cares? But, but um, <laughs> I'm kidding. No, ish. I'm kidding-ish. But, um, Drew Brees, after he accomplishes that huge mile marker for a quarterback, okay, breaks in one, time, in one game Brett Favre's and Peyton Manning's score, their, their record. He throws the touchdown pass, gets the certificate, is running over, and he runs to the sidelines, and, he's, and he bends down, and he kisses his daughter on the cheek, and he, his wife is crying, and he's a little choked up. He's got his three little boys there, and he gets down on one knee, and you can hear him because he's mic'd up. And what he says is this. He says, you can accomplish anything in life, boys, if you're willing to work for it, right? And in that moment... He didn't just break a record, he was stacking some stones. He was taking a moment to say, this is big, this is cool, isn't this neat, what do you think about this? But look, beyond this, it's not about the accomplishment, it's not about daddy's face up there. You, you can accomplish anything in life if you're willing to work for it, right? And so he's instilling purpose in what's happening. 
man, fishing rods are stacking some stones. And deer lease time is stacking some stones, not just getting the next buck. The time on the bleachers at the baseball field is not just watching ball. If you don't see it as stacking some stones to be opportunities to tell your kids, show your kids, speak life into your children, you're going to miss those moments. My daughter's 15 now, but at 13, uh, we've made this kind of decision that we want to do a daddy-daughter excursion at 13. And then mom is going to do a sweet 16 little vacation with our kids when they turn 16. So daddy's turn is first and Sage turned 13. And you know how people talk about the teenage years, how crazy and, oh, that's so wild. Like, we went, no, we're going we're gonna to start on the right foot. So we said, Sage, anywhere you want to go, within reason, we are pastors. We're not billionaires. Where do you want to go? She wanted to go to New York. So you know what? We, Sage and I went for a few days to New York. And we went and we saw the Statue of Liberty together. We went to a couple of Broadway shows like The Lion King. We had some great New York style pizza in an old chapel that was now a pizza place. <laughs> the church is now serving pizza. And Cafe Roma has half price pizza on sale right after service today. We, uh, we rode a boat together in, uh, in the little lake there at Central Park. We rode bicycles through Times Square and all that traffic. And, and I, I sent that picture to my wife and I said, hey, Sage and I are riding bikes through this crazy traffic. She's like, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> it was crazy. We got to meet some crazy people. Uh, Sage got to meet Jennifer Lopez. I got to meet Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> I also got to meet Kim Kardashian. Janet thought I was getting a little too handsy. Sage got to high five the Pope. I did a human video for Barack Obama. <laughs> those were wax people, just for those of you that are like, oh, really? That's interesting. Why would he do, why would he do the Holy Spirit dove for Barack? <laughs> Here's, we ended the trip before we left. We went that day to the Empire State Building. And on top of the Empire State Building, we had all this view. And we were talking. And, and uh, I have a video, but that's, that's for me and Sage. That's for me and, that's for me and her. Um, but basically in the video, I, I took a moment. I wanted mom to see it. So I just kind of put my phone in my pocket and I just recorded what I was saying. And I, I just basically told her, you know, this 13-year-old trip, this 13-daddy-daughter excursion, um, you know, you by yourself, uh, the enemy can like come in real quick. And you as someone else, like two people together, you can stand back to back and, and you can fight, but... It's not going to be as good as you think it is. But the Bible says that a triple braided cord is not easily broken. I said, so Sage, right now, you're one of the cords. And mommy and daddy are one of the cords. And Jesus is one of the cords. And we're a triple braided cord. And someday, mommy and daddy are going to step back. And it's going to be you and it's going to be a boy when you're 32. And it's going to be Jesus. Now, you can be just you, or you can be just you and a boy, but that triple-braided cord. And so I, I pulled out the little ring that's, a, that's got a, a knot in it. It's a little tight, you know, a knot that's three braids. I said, I want to give this to you as a reminder that until your heart is given to someone else, we are a triple-braided cord kind of family. And we're going to do, we, we can do a lot together, but if we don't have Jesus in the middle of it, so I want your teenage years, I want my teenage daddy years, like 
let's put Jesus right in the middle of it. And what, what were we doing? Were we going to New York? No, I was just trying to stack some stones. Stack some stones. Whatever it looks like, friends. Stack some stones. Number three, tie a yellow ribbon. And I end with this thought. Yellow ribbon, ribbons are very popular these days, like the pink ribbon with October being Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Yellow ribbons representing other cancer that we're fighting and being aware of. But also, yellow ribbon represents like um, military that, that have been deployed and coming home and we tie yellow ribbons. And there's an old song, 60s and 70s, made popular, uh, written by Tony Orlando. And it's this story of a prisoner of war who's been a prisoner of war for a few years, and he escapes, he gets out, and he's coming home. And he's written a letter to his wife, and basically, hey, I'm on the bus, I'm coming home, I'm going to stop by, the, uh, I'm going to stop by there. And, and uh, he basically says, um, I'm, I'm going to, will you tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree? It's been three long years, do you remember me? And he says in the letter, if I don't see a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree, I'll stay on the bus, forget about us, and you can put the blame on me if I don't see a yellow ribbon around the oak tree. And the old story, that song, narrative song, that, that he says, bus driver, will you look for me? Because I can't bear to see what I might see. And then the song says, the whole bus is cheering. The whole bus is cheering because what do they see? As they pull up, they see a thousand yellow ribbons around the oak tree. And it's this moment that even though we've talked all month long about arrows, I know in a room this size, there are some stray arrows. Arrows that you've wanted to release in the right way and maybe it was too little too late. Or maybe you did whatever you could, but they, because they're not just an inanimate object like an arrow, but they are people with souls. They make their own decision and they decide to stray. Activating God's protection over your home isn't just what happens right now, but it's creating an environment that also says you can come back anytime. And sometimes we can get in the middle of the fight and the discussion and the, the, the angst and the hurt and, and the regret and, and we, we say, no, if they, if they really want to be around, they'll do this. And I'm not saying we, we push a blind, we, we show a blind eye to, to sin or to actions, but that we always are aware that we're creating an environment where they can come home. And I want you to know that this church has got a big old yellow ribbon around it for anyone that may have strayed, that didn't apply the protection of God in their family, in their decisions, in their emotions, who come today broken or are out there hurting and strayed and broken arrows. And I'm challenging you as families, keep tying yellow ribbons. We see Jesus tell the story of a son who strayed. And when he came to his senses and he came back home, we don't see an image of father 
tapping his foot, arms crossed. It's about time you shaped up. About time you got it together. You know, the father with expectancy, with yellow ribbons on his trees, busts through the porch door, meets the son halfway down the driveway, says, welcome home. That's what I want for your families. It's what I want for you if you feel like you've drifted. Way beyond a yellow ribbon, Jesus gave his self to you. You don't have to, he's not mad at you. You don't have to be afraid. He welcomes you in. You are like arrows in his hand. And he's happy and wants to guide you in the next step. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? We want to apply through prayer, God speaking in this moment, with being very still. Maybe you're here today and you say, Jeremy, I've drifted. I've never invited Jesus to lead my life, guide my life. I've kind of done my own thing. Or maybe I, I, at one time I was on track, but, but I just, I'm not where I want to be. Would you pray for me? I want to say to you, yes, I will pray for you. But I actually want to just guide you in praying a prayer. Because it's not about what I could ever do for you, but I'll guide you. We say, do you, do you think Jesus would, would embrace me today? You think Jesus would give me a second chance? Oh, yeah. And a seventh and a tenth and a fourteenth. He's not mad about you. He's, he's not mad at you. He's mad about you. So if you're here and you need to invite Jesus to be the center of your life for the first time or the first time in a long time, and you'd like me to help you pray that prayer, if that's you, just put a hand up right in the air very quickly. Just put a hand right up in the air. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Very quickly. Very quickly. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. Hands all over the room. Anybody else? Say, would you pray with me, Pastor? In your own words, you say, Jesus, thank you for being who you say you are. The son of the living God that died on a cross for me. Jesus, I make a terrible savior for myself. I can fix mistakes and kind of pick myself up, but I, I can't fix my own sin. That's why you cover my sin by the cross. And so I surrender to you today. I'm going to step off the throne of my own heart, and I'm going to invite you to sit on my throne. That means you're in charge. It means I surrender to you. It means I yield to your way, not my way. And I really don't even know what all that means I will have to change, but I invite you to guide me today to begin to make next steps towards you. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me this moment to make things right with you. Now I declare I'm saved. I'm going to follow him. It's a clean slate. It's a new day. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that gave me this moment in October. If you're here and you have children that maybe are stray arrows today, in this moment we could pray for a lot of things, but I, I just want to pray for that this morning. If you've got a, if you have a stray arrow, if that's you, would just put a hand up. Jesus is reaching down, grabbing your hand. He knows what it's like to have a stray arrow. Jesus, I pray for every person in this room that knows a stray arrow. Maybe it's a brother, a sister. Maybe it's their own mom or dad that's actually a stray arrow. Maybe it's their children. 
Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, do what only you can do. And God, may we do what only we can do. Only we can be the mom and the dad. Only we can be that loving friend. Only we can be that person who speaks life and is consistent and constant. And so, Lord, forgive us forever cutting down the yellow ribbons. We'll tie them back up. They're welcome home. God, we pray that you would do what only you can do. Would you look up here at the scripture, friends? In Lamentations, the author is uh, lamenting over the status of Israel. They've gone off the deep end. They've been doing their own thing. And the scripture says, Arise, cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children. And we prayed together in those moments, and I led you in some prayer. But now I want to pray a special prayer over all the families represented in the room. And what I want to invite you to do is I want you to stand where you are, but stay where you are. And we're going to pray together. And I've written this prayer because I want to get the, I just want to get the essence of everything I was thinking. And if you're new, this may sound, as we're going to pray together, this could feel a little aggressive to you if you're new. But I want you to know the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead wants to empower us as we pray. And so we're going to pray over this. Would you want to receive a prayer over your family, over your homes today? Let me pray this over you. Would you receive this? Heavenly Father, we enter your courts with thanksgiving and praise. Thank you for being faithful and just, quick to forgive, slow to anger. Thank you for not being mad at us, for failing yet again, but instead being steady and ready to receive us as we are, not as we should be. And then you take us and you recreate us. Father, this morning, together with this group of family and friends, this congregation, we surrender completely and unreservedly every area of our homes to you. We take a stand against all the lies and endeavors of the enemy and his uncreative schemes that would want to rob this church and these people and their families of the mighty will of God. So I stand with them right now in the name of Jesus and we stand against bitterness and unforgiveness and envy and jealousy, any spirit of insecurity or any inferiority, fear of rejection, self-pity, self-hate, any unresolved anger, any damaged relationship, any rage or violence. We take captive actions and thoughts of sexual immorality and impurity, adultery, fornication, lust and pornography. In the mighty name of Jesus, we refuse to believe the enemy's lies. We come against pride and rebellion and deception, manipulation, control, criticism, judgmentalism, every thought of arrogance, racism, greed, materialism, selfish covetousness, every spirit of selfish ambition in your strength. We come against the power of worry and suicide and anxiety and self-destruction and self-hate and depression and the power of that depression and the drunkenness and drugs and alcoholism and we cast off those things and we speak against pride and false doctrine and stealing and slothfulness and laziness, humiliation of every negative word that's been spoken into the ears of these men and women and their children. And we receive the words of life given by your spirit and your word. Today we choose to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We believe everything you've said about us, Jesus. 
We take every thought that goes against the truth of God's word captive, and we take on the knowledge of Christ, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is your word. We replace those thoughts with the power of Christ, the love of Christ, the sound mind of Christ. And we say, thank you, Lord, for guarding our homes, for giving us safety as you have covered us, for standing watch when we didn't have the strength to stand watch, for giving us focus when we didn't have clarity, for setting us free when we were bound, for the grace and the truth of your word. Now let's believe those words in Jesus' mighty name. Would you receive those words over you, your family, your house, your children? And would you say thank you to the Lord for all that he's going to do in the future? Thank you, Jesus. We receive what only you can do in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 So in these last moments, we're going to receive our tithes and offerings, our connect cards and our gifts. Thank you for being faithful. But not only are we giving an offering, it's an act of worship. So we're going to sing in worship and we're going to give in worship, stretch that generosity muscle. And I want to say thank you. We're able to go further, faster with how you are being so generous this year. Record-breaking banner year of generosity at Timber Creek Church. It's crazy. And everybody can be a part. So ushers, are you ready? Ushers are going to begin to serve you from the back to the front. As they're serving, would you, would you worship in giving, worship in song? Come on, Abby. Let's sing this together, and then I'll dismiss you. Just like the the blood on the doorpost, there can be some things in Scripture that seem kind of like, what what is that all about? And some people are amazed at it and they move on. Some people are perplexed. Some people are even skeptical. I want to take the next couple of weeks, we're going to cast some vision for our Nacogdoches location. We're going to show you some video of what it's going to look like. It's going to be incredible. But I'm also going to take the next couple of weeks and we're going to unpack a couple things that people like, like the word Pentecost and what Pentecostal means in the scripture. We're going to talk about worship and giving, just like we gave today and people can kind of be a little skeptical skeptical about giving. We're going to unpack that in the next two weeks. This is not what you think it is. This is that. I hope you'll invite a friend. I love you. My wife loves you. Jesus loves you. Take it to the bank. Love your family. Love someone. See you next somebody.